There's so many things to be excited about, so many things happening in the life of the church. Uh, next week is our big building design reveal. As you know, that we've been on a journey uh, with uh, purchasing land and establishing a home base uh, for us just to uh, be involved in what God is doing here in the south of Joburg. And so that is next Sunday. And just to give you a, a quick rundown of how that's going to work, it's only going to be briefly in the service. And then after the service in Liquid Rock, we're actually going to have a far uh, more in-depth look at the building and uh, for everyone to enjoy that. So something to look forward to. And then also just to share a bit about a process that we have been on as a church. And um, we have a we call it our GRM, just once a year where we kind of just uh, update about a, a lot of what's happening maybe behind the scenes that you guys aren't really aware of. And at our GRM in the beginning of the year, uh, our elders, we had two elders, uh, Colin and Emlyn, uh, they stepped down feeling that uh, leading, uh, that the Lord was leading them to just a new season of ministry and some exciting things were happening in their lives. And because they'd been serving so long in their role of eldership, just really felt God calling them to hand the baton over uh, to new people to pick up the role of eldering and leading uh, here at Riverside. And so at the GRM in February, we committed to a process of looking for new potential elders and uh, we then said to the church that when uh, we are able to, we'll then just let everybody know where we're at in the process. And uh, we have identified uh, four couples. We've invited uh, these men and their wives into this process uh, towards eldership. And what we are hoping to do is at our GRM next year, February, is then have them prayed in to the Office of Elder here at Riverside uh, Church. And we're quite excited about that. And what we're also excited about is just because we've been praying with them and us and they're um, in on the process of training and equipping towards this. And we can share the names with you of who we are journeying with. And so that's very, very exciting. So there are four couples. These names might mean nothing to you, but these who are the couples who are busy uh, journeying with us towards eldership. And so they are Sean and Jules Leeson and uh, Steve and Jackie Rudd, uh, Vernon and Christy Mitchell, and Daryl and Jody Dyers. Uh, so those are, so just so you know, they're not elders yet. This is just a process of training, equipping, hearing from the Lord, and um, hopefully in, in February next year at the GRM, if everything goes well in the process, uh, we'll be able to pray them in, and we're very, very excited about that. So please pray with us on that, and pray for them, pray for us, as we are in a very exciting time with uh, the leadership of the church. Right, and week three of our prayer and fasting and abiding series. And again, we are just so excited about what God has been doing in so many of our lives during this series. It's been incredible to hear some of the testimonies coming out of people who have been doing the devotional challenge, who have been reading scripture, who have been uh, journaling, who have been engaging with the Lord in ways they never have before. And it has been so, so exciting. There are a couple of things that we need to really highlight at this point. And the first one is that uh, sometimes within Christianity, uh, we often think that everything we do is what God wants from us. 
And we often fall into this trap or this thinking that Christianity is a burden and this thing that we do is a burden and just God wants from me the whole time. But at the heart of abiding, at the heart of seeking the Lord and, and, and what we're sharing is that this isn't something that God wants from us, but something that God wants for us. What God wants for us is a greater depth of relationship. I mean, we understand that Jesus didn't die for us to get into heaven. He died to get us into right relationship with the Father. And what he desires above all else is relationship. And he wants this for us, not from us. It's so important to be thinking about that and remembering that the whole time in this series is this is what God wants for us. And a great analogy to think about this is imagine a scenario where uh, you got a phone call from a bank to say there's a note for you. Someone has left you some money. And for whatever reason, you think it's an insignificant amount of money. And so it falls out of your mind. You forget about it. And then you remember, oh, somebody left me some money. I think I better go and check it out. So you head down to the bank, you check the letter, and to your absolute amazement, you're shocked to find that it is an incredible fortune. And so the whole time you were living poor while you were actually rich. This is what we talk about with abiding. That this is what God wants for us, that what's at stake here in abiding is that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And when we uh, realize what God wants for us, when we uh, engage in abiding, when we take this seriously, we shift from living poor to living rich and experiencing all that God has for us. When Jesus says, you will do greater things than me. People sometimes struggle with that, you know, because it's Jesus. And how can anybody do greater things than Jesus? But he was one man with the Holy Spirit. And we're a church filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that he gives more of the Holy Spirit. And in us seeking him and abiding in him, we experience more of that greater power with the gifts, greater understanding, greater knowledge, greater experience uh, of our adoption into sonship and, and our relationship with him. And all of that comes with abiding. One of the big things that is helping us in doing this is shifting from having an incidental or accidental faith to having an intentional faith. And taking our relationship far more intentionally, part of that is the devotion challenge. That's why we've called everyone to think differently about reading scripture and praying through scripture, journaling, hearing from the Lord, and practicing hearing from him, writing that down, reading scripture, because we know what happens when we abide. There is fruits. And when we're not, we can't do anything because Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But we have to be intentional about that. Now, when we think about being intentional uh, in our faith and intentional in abiding, one of the, the ways uh, that we think about this in, in our faith and the language that we use is this uh, awe-inspiring phrase called spiritual disciplines. Uh, something that we uh, kind of hate and it seems so dead and old and boring to talk about being disciplined in our faith and practicing discipline. But think about sport, for example. How does somebody win a gold medal at the Olympics? Does that happen accidentally? That comes from significant amount of discipline. Training, practice, routine, over and over and over, getting excellence at their skill. A lot of people play soccer, but a few people make it to the top leagues. 
and something that sets apart them. Yes, obviously there's, there's skill, but there is also discipline and dedication to uh, their sports and business and studies. Often what sets apart, a lot of you guys are going into test week, what sets apart the A-plus student and the C students? It's actually their discipline to their study. In business, it's discipline that sometimes sets apart one business from the next. And why would it not be the same for our faith? And some people are experiencing more of God because they are more disciplined in how they're abiding and practicing abiding and spending time with him. I think a great uh, way to understand or definition of spiritual disciplines is the, the role or the value of spiritual disciplines is me moving from splashing in the shallow end of a swimming pool or uh, the a splash pool into deep waters. And often, you know, if you think of kind of an expression of Christianity is, okay, well, I believe, I have the version app on my phone, I kind of read a, a few minutes of a devotional, or kind of my spiritual input is, this, is I get one of these pictures, and it's like a nice pretty background with a, a cool Christian saying on it, and, and kind of that fuels my faith. Now, you might be in that space, and that might give you life, but you might be that person, but then hear of people experiencing incredible things, Man, I, on Friday nights, I was at a, a prayer meeting. We were praying with some people. Uh, they actually just asked for full anonymity, so I won't tell the names or the country. But they, are, uh, they went to a specific part of this country to an unreached people group where there were no believers. And in eight years, they've gone from no believers to five believers. And when you hear those incredible testimonies, and you often wonder, well, why am I not experiencing what other people are experiencing in their faith. How come I don't have some of those testimonies? And maybe it's because you're still splashing in shallow water and haven't sought the Lord in a very intentional and deliberate way and moved out into deep waters and experiencing all that God has to offer in terms of his powering, empowering spirit for us to do life and ministry and the fullness of relationship that he has to offer. And one of the ways that help us do that as spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines is the fuel or the vehicle that moves us from a kind of a shallow uh, faith to a much deeper faith and experiencing all that God has to offer. Uh, examples of spiritual disciplines has been some of the challenges. Uh, scripture reading, prayer, uh, meditating on God's word. Other examples of spiritual disciplines are solitude, silence, and a very, very underrated and important one that we are uh, dealing with at the moment, which is fasting. And I know fasting gets people very excited at about intentionally giving up food uh, to seek the Lord. But fasting is an incredible discipline that helps us go deeper in our faith. And of course, uh, you guys didn't uh, give some shouts and amens. Uh, so I know that I'm... Um, you know, speaking to some passionate people about the discipline of fasting. And I think uh, there's a lot of confusion around fasting. I love this quote by John Wesley, and this is a very, very old quote, and it was true for him, and it is true for us. And here's the quote around fasting. John Wesley said this, Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. 
And I, I think the, the reality that many of us uh, find ourselves in is these extremes where maybe you came across someone who uh, practiced fasting or, or really was a champion for spiritual disciplines and you just did not want to be like them because they were weird or funny or uh, any f- person who gives into the extremes. We, uh, we don't generally resonate with that. So maybe that is one reason uh, why you don't engage with it. But I think the latter part of this quote is more true for us as a church, that I think more believers today for a number of reasons have just utterly disregarded the discipline of fasting. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. One is just poor teaching, a lack of teaching. I think there's maybe just a lack of understanding and teaching on what is biblical fasting. What does the Bible say about it? What is the motivating for it? What is the heart of it? Why do I need to uh, be fasting? And then even then, as I said, if there's lack of understanding, then why? What is the motivation for it? And even if we get that right, it's our own personal motivation for fasting, which is often a huge hindrance for us. I think one of our biggest struggles in fasting is we are a culture of excess. I mean, if you are a middle class and, and, and moving up from there in South Africa, your daily reality is three meals with multiple snacks uh, in between. And if you miss lunch and it's kind of getting to uh, three o'clock, what is a phrase that we like to use? I'm literally dying of hunger. Yeah, that is something that I have said in my life, that if I miss lunch and the, the rumble starts to happen, inside of me there's this little bit of panic that I'm going to die of hunger. I mean, let's have a confession time. How many of us have used the phrase, I'm literally dying of hunger? Number of hands of going up. You know what's just quite hectic, and uh, forgive me for going super deep right here, none of us have literally, or none of us actually know the reality of literally dying of hunger. Because while we missed lunch, we know we're going home to a cooked meal. And if it's not a cooked meal, on our way home, there are a number of fast food outlets that we can stop in and buy something to eat or a convenience store around the corner for us to end uh, the hunger in us that is causing us to die. I think, um, you know, so much excess uh, Tupperware. Uh, you know, the, the whole thing about Tupperware was invented for us just to store the food that we're going to throw away later. And uh, how many bras have you been to where there was just so much food left over, you could have fed double the amount of people? Uh, we really are a community and a culture of excess. And I don't know if it's this fear of poverty, but uh, we hate being hungry and we avoid hunger. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase hangry, that there's even a, a word and a, a behavior that's uh, there's an emotion that comes with being uh, this anger from being hungry. I think men experience this more than women, and it's a reality that we have to deal with. But one of the biggest hindrances and one of the biggest obstacles and maybe fears of engaging in fasting is we hate being hungry. But I think there's something so powerful about the discipline of fasting and what it does in us. All right, so I'm going to fly through uh, some scriptures. Uh, They are going to be up on the screen. If I don't go through the whole thing or read the scripture, make sure you take down the reference so that you can uh, read it in the week. But there are a number of things that the Bible speaks of uh, when it comes to fasting, and uh, especially when it comes to types of fasting. 
So in Daniel chapter three, uh, we have what's called a partial fast. And so there it is. At the time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks, I ate no choice food, no meats or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So a partial fast that Daniel does here, and uh, he gives up his choice foods. And uh, this is what we are encouraging um, us to do as a church, for two weeks to do what has become commonly known in uh, church context or church culture is a Daniel fast. And it is a partial fast because uh, we want to fast for a long time. We want to go two weeks doing this. And so obviously you know how uh, we need food to sustain us. We need water to sustain us. So we're doing a partial fast, uh, no choice foods. And uh, I hope every one of you has a prayer and fasting guide because in there is an outline of what you can and can't eat during a Daniel fast. And in fact, um, we have made a link available to our church's Pinterest board. And uh, on our church's Pinterest board is a number of recipes and things like that for you to help if you've never engaged with something like this. But that is a partial fast and enables you to fast for longer periods of time. Uh, I, I love this because uh, the hardest thing for me in, in, in going to be doing this fast is coffee. So that's one of the things that we're going to be giving up is, is caffeine. That's part of the no-choice foods. And the reality for so many of us is that if we uh, wake up in the morning and spend some time with the Lord, that we first need to have a cup of coffee, and then we go to be with the Lord. And it shows us what our real dependence is. We need some caffeine to wake us up so that we are cognitive enough to engage with the Lord. And the whole reason for this is shifting our focus off of what we think we need and what we think we need to sustain us to really being fueled and sustained and strengthened by the Lord alone. Right, so that's a partial fast. Then here's an example of what they call an absolute fast. This is coming out of Esther chapter four. And uh, the context is... Uh, the Jews are in captivity, and uh, Esther is a Jew, she's queen. Uh, there's a guy, he's not so nice, he wants to kill all the Jews. Uh, Esther's talking to her uncle, his name is Mordecai, and really the whole extinction of them as a people group is at stake here. And so this is what they talk about. Go gather together all the Jews who are on Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. Uh, and my attendants will fast as you do. So here's the example of what we call an absolute fast. No food, no water. And uh, they do this fast for three days. And as you know, you, you shouldn't go without water for three days. Uh, then you are, you, you're in trouble. But the seriousness of their situation meant a seriousness in their fasting. Uh, they were going to die anyway if the Lord did not come through. And so they really uh, came before the Lord in an extreme way, uh, not drinking or eating for three days. And the Lord came through for them and answered their prayers. That is an example of an absolute fast. They are quite rare in Scripture. And in fact, going longer than one day in an absolute fast is uh, very, very rare. And only in the most dire situations is there a call for 
uh, an absolute fast, then you, you get what is called a supernatural absolute fast. And a good example of that is when Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. And there he spent 40 days without food or water, solely being sustained by the Lord. And that is a absolute fast. So you've got partial fast, you've got absolute fast, supernatural, um, absolute fast. Again, those are also incredibly rare throughout the whole of Christian history. And what is more regular is uh, the partial fast or an absolute fast for about a day. Then uh, you get uh, private fasting. And again, coming out of uh, Daniel and uh, here, and just hearing uh, what the Lord is doing, he's grieved in his heart by that. And so he says, I turned to the Lord and I pleaded him, this verse 3, with prayer, petition, and fasting in sackcloth and ashes. And he spent that time privately fasting in confession of sin for his people and really seeking the Lord in a very in, intentional way. So fasting is definitely a, a private discipline. And in scripture, we see it being encouraged as a private discipline. But then there are also examples and a number of examples of public or corporate fasting when the whole nation uh, or a whole people group are called to fast together. We see that an example being Jeremiah uh, 36 and verse 9, where it just says, uh, you know, the Lord, uh, a time of fasting before the Lord was proclaimed for all the people in Jerusalem and for those who had come from the towns of Judah. And there is something very powerful that happens when there is a united corporate fasting. Uh, I love this excerpt that comes out of John Wesley's, uh, one of his journals. And it, all the way back in 1756, uh, uh, France was about to invade uh, England, and so they called for a united fast uh, for everyone in England, and he writes this in his journal. Uh, he says, uh, the fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen uh, since the restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. And a, a national fast, everybody sought the Lord together with unity, and France turned around and went home. And God answered their prayers. And there's something very powerful about a, a corporate, united uh, fast, which is, again, the heart of what we are wanting to do. Is as a church, we're united together in seeking the Lord in a way that we never have before. And so we are making this a corporate uh, fast together, seeking the Lord as a church and as individuals. Jesus had some things to say about fasting when we move to the New Testament. And uh, you can see that in Matthew chapter 6. Love the first a few words of this, when he opens up and, and he's teaching his, his disciples, he says, when you fast. And I love that because as disciples, there is a great understanding that you will fast as disciples. Now, note, this isn't a command. It's not in the imperative tense. He's not saying, I command you to fast. But there is an understanding of when you fast. And so this should be part of our discipline as believers, that we are engaging in fasting, uh, in seeking the Lord. And he goes on to say, do not be like the Pharisees. Uh, I love Jesus because one of the things Jesus does is he always goes for the heart. 
Uh, at the time of Jesus, uh, what had happened as part of uh, the culture of the Israelites is they would have uh, fasts twice a week. And they would be on specific days. But the Pharisees shifted the days to kind of coincide when there would be more produce coming into the city and there'd be greater activity around markets and it would give them more public exposure to their holiness. And uh, Jesus really goes to the heart of the matter here. And uh, the encouragement for us with what Jesus is saying is if you are going to engage in this fast, to not be like the Pharisees who make it very known that they are fasting. So if you are fasting and somebody comes into your office with some lovely uh, fresh Krispy Kreme donuts, don't publicly wail, oh, I'm fasting, I can't do this, and draw all this attention to yourself. Okay, Jesus uh, tells us that, you know, we're on the risk of that being our reward when people pity us and go, oh, I'm so sorry to do that. I'm sorry to inconvenience you. Okay, I, I, won't, I won't do that. I won't tempt you again. So part of this is that uh, we're drawing close to the Lord uh, for he, us to experience his power, to experience uh, his presence in our life, not to be drawing attention to ourselves. Our hearts are, are vile things. And even in our earnestness for seeking the Lord, we can turn this into gaining attention for ourselves and making us look good in the eyes of other people by proclaiming just how holy we are because you know we're fasting for two weeks. So it's quite important to know and, and check our hearts in what we're doing over the next few weeks. And then interesting, again, uh, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, again, speaking about fasting in the context, uh, his disciples were not fasting and engaging in fasting how everybody else was. And one of the reasons why Jesus said that is you don't feast with the bridegroom here. The whole reason that we fast is to fuel our abiding. And the disciples didn't have to fast because they had Jesus right there with him. And what was the point of fasting to you know, seek more of Jesus when they had him uh, 24-7? And so the encouragement with the disciples then was, you don't fast while you have the bridegroom. There's going to be a time when he is going to be gone. And we're in that time, and which is why we fast now. It's to fuel our abiding, to fuel our seeking him. And very interesting, uh, the early church uh, only really brought back in fasting till Jesus had ascended. And so we only see fasting coming into the language of the, the early church from about Acts chapter 13. And why that's quite significant is because uh, they were praying and they were worshiping and they were fasting. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit speaks and they set apart Barnabas and Paul. And we have a church in the south of Joburg. And so there's some very powerful things that happen when the church is together fasting, together worshiping and seeking the Lord. Because what happens when they do that is the Lord very clearly speaks and powerful things happen as a result of that. We see that clearly through uh, the whole of Acts and into the rest of the New Testaments. Yeah, so that's a, a very brief run through of examples of fasting, the heart of fasting. And then uh, Jesus, again, speaking in Matthew 4, this is when he was fasting in the deserts. And I love this, where, where he says that man does not live on bread alone. And one of the major reasons why we are calling for a no food fast is because food is what we think we get our strength from. But what we are trying to trust the Lord for in this is experiencing his power in ways we never had before. 
that we're shifting in ways we never have before in putting our reliance solely on him. Jesus very clearly says, man does not live on bread alone, but on the power of the Lord. And that is what we're trusting for, is that we're gonna shift from what we think is what we rely on, what we think gives us our strength and our power. Because again, remember, one of the lies of the enemy is to trick us into thinking we are self-reliant. And that I have what I have in this life because I've earned it and I've achieved it. But apart from me, you can do nothing, says Jesus. And so a real a heart of this is that we are seeking him and putting our faith and our trust in him and understanding that our provision, our strength, our nourishment, everything that we have comes from him and him alone. And then another just encouragement coming out of Joel chapter two and verse 12. Again, a big motivation for fasting is in repentance. And then even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. As I was praying this morning for the messages, I really felt quite strongly that the, the Lord was really wanting to press in and us to think very differently about what it means to seek him. You guys know uh, the famous verse that almost everybody knows uh, in the whole world, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. And it's a very, uh, it's probably one of the most quoted verses. So, you know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But a few verses after that is, I think, something even more important that very few people know about. So write down this, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. It's not gonna come up, but write this down. And what it says is, if you seek me, declares the Lord, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. And I, I don't know how this happened, but so many people think God is a distant God who is hard to find. But the reality is, he is a good God who wants to be found. I play hide and go seek with my children. And it's uh, really fun. Uh, Edith, my two-year-old, is really good at hiding. But once I've finished counting and I come in, I go, I'm coming. Uh, I'll hear Edie shouting, I'm hiding behind the curtain. And uh, she's really good at hiding, but she's the easiest uh, to be found because she lets you know exactly where she's hiding. And I love that because I think the Lord is the same. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. And I wonder that so many of us have gone, I've never heard the Lord speak to me. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to find him? Have you ever actually sought him with the heart and the ears to actually hear what he has to say? God is not a distant God. When Jesus uh, died, when he was on the cross, in that moment, there was a very significant thing that happened. Uh, there was a, a huge, uh, incredible curtain that separated everybody from the very presence of God that was destroyed uh, top to bottom as God removed what separated us from him. We get to enter into his presence. He is a God who wants to be found. But it means that we seek him. And if we seek him, we are found or we find him. And, and the heart of this uh, call and challenge to fast is that we would actually seek him in ways that we never have before, with an earnestness that we never have had before. And then we'll be sharing testimonies of how the Lord has spoken, how the Lord has brought breakthrough in my life. The Lord has, has answered my prayers. He has heard my cries. He's brought healing. He's brought restoration. God is a good God. We talk about him being a good father. 
where so many of us uh, have only experienced maybe bad fathers or absent fathers. But if you can imagine in your mind, if you give all of your imagination to what the very best father in the world could be, God blows those expectations a million fold. He is a good God. He doesn't make it hard for us to hear him. He doesn't uh, go uh, or create distance on purpose. God is a faithful, ever-present God who can be found if we seek him. I think we need to hear that this morning, this morning, this evening. God says, if you seek me, you will find me. But we need to, and this might be what you need to hear, is that you come back to the Lord with repentance. And maybe the reason why you're not experiencing the fullness of God is because you have drifted so far away from him. And it's not him who is distant, but you. And we can create that distance by allowing sin to become prominent in our lives, worshiping the idols, just engaging in all kinds of things that break the heart of God. And that's one of the reasons why you are not experiencing his fullness and not hearing from him. And maybe what you need to be doing with this fast is first and foremost doing it as a fast of repentance of your sin and are coming back to the Lord and seeking him like we should be doing as his people. I love this quote around fasting. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Most people have a willing spirit. It's the flesh that gets in the way. The problem isn't desire, it's power, specifically willpower. And this is where fasting comes into play. Fasting gives you the power to pray because it is an exercise in willpower. The physical discipline gives you the spiritual discipline to pray. I love this. And again, a further motivation as to why we are doing this. We have the desire to be in a place of abiding with the Lord. But there is weakness to us. We don't often have the willpower to pray as we want to, but fasting gives us the willpower, which is why we want to do a food fast, not a social media fast or a, a music fast or, or something along those lines. No, we're fasting food. Because what happens when you've gone a meal or two without food? You start to feel lethargic. Right? You realize how weak and frail our bodies are. It brings about a humility in us. It reveals actually how much pride and anger and, and stuff that we're able to suppress and mask and filter when we're around people. Go a day without food and that stuff comes to the surface and we realize just how much we need the Lord. Just how much we need His power, His sustaining uh, power in our lives. And we only realize that when we start to be disciplined and actually going, I'm not gonna eat food, I'm gonna seek you, Lord. And I'm seeking you for your power, for your strengthening uh, in my life. All right, so that again is why we're gonna do it. It exposes our weakness and causes us to rely on him in ways we never have. All right, so what are you gonna fast for in the next two weeks? Uh, two streams that we want you uh, to fast for. One stream is the church. So much going on. Uh, so much excitement um, around what we're trusting him with our uh, home uh, and the building of our church next door and a home base to carry on multiplying through the South. Uh, elders, just remember what we were speaking about is we want to be an empowered church, not a church. 
We want empowered gatherings. We want empowered youth ministry. We want empowered children's ministry, men's ministry. Every time we gather, we want to be experiencing the power of God. We want people to uh, be restored in Him where there is stuff that is just really affecting their lives. They're experiencing the freedom of the Lord, healing of the Lord. We want His presence here. That is what you're fasting for. That's what you're praying uh, for in the next few weeks. That's kind of one stream. The other one is what you are personally trusting Him for in your own life and in your family. And so whatever that is, whatever you are trusting him for, really bring that before him in fasting and praying. And we're going to be trusting God for huge testimonies of breakthrough in the next few weeks as we're doing this and bringing this into habits. Again, just some wisdom in this. Um, not everyone should fast uh, because of health reasons. And so if you are not uh, kind of healthy enough to fast, please do not feel guilt or condemnation that you can't. Uh, if you are not sure, we really encourage you to actually do this, to seek the Lord for wisdom in your own life. Um, you know, there are definite medical situations like you shouldn't be doing an absolute fast if you're pregnant or things like that, or if you're sick, uh, you, you really should consider uh, that and, and apply wisdom to your life. We know some of you live at home with unsafe parents, so they uh, kind of cook and you, you share a kitchen with your parents. So obviously, it's going to be more tricky for you to uh, fast the way you want to. Obviously, do, with, uh, do what's in your means to do, all right? And so what you can do, do. Uh, God is a God of grace. We uh, live with grace. So if you obviously do what you can. Also, if you slip up during your fast, so uh, for example, that you uh, choose to do the partial uh, Daniel fast, and for whatever reason, uh, there are some cookies in the office, and uh, you walk past, and you kind of just uh, chomp down on one, and you go like, ah, I've blown it, I've uh, you know, broken my fast, uh, what we encourage you to do is kind of like get back up on the bicycle, not go, oh, you, you know, I've broken my fast. So it's over. It was good while it lasted. I'm going to go back to uh, my normal rhythms of eating. No. Really try as much as you can and hard as you can that if you do slip up and break your fast, start it again straight afterwards. Uh, God does not judge. It's not going to be like, oh, you made a commitment to do a two-week partial fast and you've broken it. I'm going to bring some bad luck your way. It's not how God operates. It's not uh, how, how he does it. But just engage with this as much as you can, as regularly as you can. And if you slip up, just get straight back in it and don't feel the guilt uh, yourself. Uh, I remember actually I had a, in high school, when I started to, my first ever fast, some mates of mine uh, tried really hard and uh, uh, they were fasting together with three specific guys and they ended up uh, not being able to uh, go through the whole day. They went to McDonald's. Uh, it was like day two of the fast and they uh, went and smashed down some McDonald's but they didn't come to church for about three weeks. And eventually we had to like track them down and go like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, we're so guilty. We're like, we broke the fast. Like God doesn't love us. And uh, no, that's a... So if whatever reason you end up breaking your fast, please come back to church. God still loves you. We still love you. That's not the point like, of this. No, it's for you to seek the Lord in ways that you never had before. And we really want to encourage you to do that. Uh, a question was raised. Like, are we still going to have like, coffee and brownies after church in the next uh, few weeks? Yes. Uh, because 
we are a church who's also open to uh, the public and people coming in. And so we're not going to change some of our values of, of stewardship and being a welcoming church uh, just because some of us are engaging in, in a fast. And um, if you see someone having a cup of coffee and a brownie, don't judge them either. Uh, we don't know what kind of a fast they're engaging in. We only have love for people. We don't judge. We just love. And uh, we're going to now go into a time of communion because uh, the only reason why we fast is because we have a relationship with Jesus. And it's important for us to really understand that he desires relationship over everything else. And uh, with the fast starting tomorrow, it's only appropriate for us to engage in the communion meal, really remembering and focusing on his body broken for me, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of my sin. The only way I'm in relationship with him is he gave me his righteousness and I'm able to stand before the Father and he does not see my sin, he sees the righteousness of Christ and I have the fullness of that relationship. And uh, as you engage with that, there's going to be a video just kind of helping facilitate us doing this. And uh, what I really want you to think about is where you are at with the Lord. Maybe you have never sought the Lord in such a way before. And so maybe what you need to start with tonight is repenting and going, God, for whatever reason, I have gone away from you. And I'm coming back to seek you and you. And repent and enjoy uh, the forgiveness and the restoration of the Lord and, and make a commitment to, to seek Him uh, like we never have. So I'm going to pray. Father God, I'm so thankful for your death and resurrection for us. Father God, I'm so thankful that you took my sin and my shame and you paid uh, for all of it on the cross, Lord God, giving me your righteousness so that I am in relationship with the Father through you, that he calls me son, I call him father, and it's a relationship that I get to experience in greater and greater measure. Thank you, Lord God, that you have made this possible for us. And uh, Holy Spirit, that we would experience you in ways that we never have as we enter into seeking you in this way. Amen. Guys, when you're ready, please just come and engage with the communion table. And in a bit, I'll close off for us in prayer.